Welcome to The Wood Podcast, where we explore solutions to some of the world's most critical challenges in energy and the built environment. I'm your host, Lauren Gallagher. Thank you for joining the first episode in our Future Workplace series. How has the role of industrial hygiene changed in today's world? How should employers manage risk? How can we build resilience? Today's experts are the hidden heroes who are fighting every day to keep us safe during these uncertain times. I'm joined today by Mike Ebel, a principal scientist and leading advisor in the industrial hygiene space. Mike has more than 23 years of experience helping clients tackle operational and environmental challenges related to health and safety in the workplace. Mike is based in Greensboro, North Carolina. Also joining us is Christina Heisler. She's Wood's global technical leader for environmental science, permitting, and compliance. A champion of innovation, Christina is based in San Diego, California. Thank you both for joining. A lot has happened since the start of the pandemic. And while some countries have opened back up to a new normal, many of us are now experiencing a second and even third wave of lockdowns. Up until now, much of the work of industrial hygienists has been hidden from plain sight, but the pandemic is now shining a light on these important professionals. Mike, can you tell us about your role today? Yeah, so yes, industrial hygienists have been thrust into the spotlight, right? And so what we try to do is we try to anticipate, recognize, evaluate, and ultimately control workplace conditions that may cause worker injury or illness, right? So the goal is to really prevent anything from happening. And, and how we do that is we have various uh, guidance documents, right, that try to help us navigate through this. And in today's COVID world, we're dealing with the, the, the opportunity for these droplets to be pushed across and, and for you and I to breathe that. And if we can eliminate it, boy, that would be fantastic, but I don't think we can do that yet. So we have to try to jump through the hoops in trying to prevent us from touching it, preventing us from breathing it, and, and, and essentially preventing us from catching it, right? How is this space changing in light of COVID-19? The simple task of what we used to do, and I, I think back to a client that requested an RFP on this, and they had no clue what an industrial hygienist did, but now their presence is so much more important in simply just playing basketball or ordering coffee or going to the grocery store. And those are the types of clients that are calling, asking for industrial hygienists to help them navigate through a task that was never thought of in the way it's thought of today. You know, I think one thing that I would add to that is, you know, industrial hygiene, um, occupational health and safety, you know, a lot of that people thought it was in the realm of, say, you know, a large manufacturing plant, a mining facility, um, you know, you're the staff who are the builders who are building a building. Um, and industrial hygiene was kind of in that space because those were large risks that you could see. Um, and now we've realized and we know we need to incorporate, you know, industrial hygiene in, like you said, Mike, buying a coffee, going to your office to work on your computer, um, lining up to get on an airplane. And so it's just really kind of broadened people's understanding of where we need to focus on 
health and safety for employees. I think it's always been there in those spaces, but now it's readily apparent. Whereas before it was sort of like, you know, we should do this, but when you've got a virus flying around in the air and you want to protect your staff, it's, it's a completely different ball game. It's fascinating to see how industrial hygiene has been brought to the forefront of our decision-making. And that makes me wonder, are your neighbors asking you for advice? Some of them do kind of look at me differently, but I'll be honest with you, a lot of them are coming up to me and asking me pretty darn serious questions when previously they would just ask, hey, nice tennis shoes, or how's your daughter doing? Now it's like, how do I do this and not die? And that's a deep question, but there's truth to it. In many cases, it just comes down to common sense. You're right. There is a lot of common sense. But the thing that I see people doing is they don't realize the common sense side of it as often as they should. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, we've talked about before is just like a simple thing of washing your hands, which so many of us, like we've talked about, man, before this all happened, I thought I was washing my hands correctly. Um, But no, I definitely was not washing them for long enough and not washing all the right areas. I think now we really have to follow those best practices to make sure we keep everyone safe. We want them to be second nature, right? We want them to be automatic. And if we start to have them be automatic, I I think we'll be in a, a safer environment. A lot of these techniques, I think, will follow through. I mean, next flu season is still going to be the same thing we've had previously. And a lot of what we're doing today could be could help us reduce that transmission. Like you said, no one really knew what an industrial hygienist does. And now they're the guardians of our health. Fear is a major obstacle for employees, both in getting back to work and for being at work. According to a recent study released by a workplace technology provider, some 73% of U.S. employees fear a return to the workplace. So let's say I'm an employee returning to work. What questions should I be asking? I want to know, has the space been routinely cleaned? I want to know, do we have appropriate separation between you and me? And I want to know how I'm going to function in my day-to-day activities. In other words, how do I go to the bathroom? And how do I know that that bathroom is either occupied or unoccupied? Same is true for the coffee machine. How do I, how do I get in there? How do I go there and do what I need to do and be socially compliant with the distancing rules? How do I eat my lunch in the lunchroom? So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that you need to have to try to give that sense of comfort, right? You know, and I think it's really important, too, for employers to communicate that they're following the latest guidance from credible sources. So the CDC, the AIHIA. So following um, established scientifically based protocols, I think, is always um, really helpful in gaining employees' trust. Now, I am an engineer and a scientist, so for me, that's even more important. But I think for most people nowadays, just like the, you know, our nurses and our doctors are our unsung heroes and our scientists and our vaccine creators, um, you know, everybody really understands having that specialized knowledge uh, is important to keeping us all safe. You're absolutely right. And, and I'll take it one step further. You know, 
those websites have amazing levels of, of, of information in there that literally drill down into specific types of businesses. For example, they have ones in there for fitness centers. They have hotels. They have restaurants. They have retail establishments. Each, every one of those, you can drill down into that and pull out extremely valuable information as to how you can be prepared before you ever even enter into that, that activity. Very helpful. Well, and that's where I think the industrial hygienists really come in and industrial safety um, experts because there's a lot of information and it actually can be overwhelming um, for sort of the layman to, to weed through that and make sure they're pooling from all the right resources. Um, so I know for myself, it's been really comforting to know that I have access uh, through my relationships um, with our IH specialists to say, hey, so, you know, we heard about this possible protocol. Does it make sense? Should we, you know, really go more conservative, less conservative? And so it really speaks to another reason why, um, you know, industrial hygiene is such an important uh, service and um, skill set these days. Airborne transmission is a really hot topic these days. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so that's a slippery slope. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, what I call information out there. And so as a hygienist, we try to rely on science-based approach. So if you look at how these droplets float around in the air, right? And the air is gonna be pulled into the system through this return air grate. A simple thing to think about don't put any chairs, don't put any individuals sitting in front of that air grate, that intake air grate. One more thing I'll say. So they say sometimes these droplets can float up into the return air plenum and they'll go hundreds of feet and they'll go into the air handling unit. They'll get reheated and cooled and it'll be filtered and thrown right back out and it's gonna come back out the system. Well, science-based fundamentals will tell you that that droplet cannot last that long. It can't float that long and not bump into something like fall into the floor of the unit and not be caught. But the other side of this is you've got all these companies out here that want to replace the system. And if they would just look at some of these guidance documents by ACGIH or AIHA, they strongly discourage against just pulling it out completely. So a science-based approach is important in developing policy and implementing practice. But as we've learned with the pandemic, the science isn't always there. And that brings challenges in navigating through these times. A common approach we're seeing as part of return to work plans focuses on revisions to the physical aspects of the workplace. Which factors do you think are most important for employers? Christina? You know, I think it's a challenge for um, leaders and employers to create really a workplace that their staff feel safe, uh, you know, emotionally and psychologically, uh, and not just physically. So, you know, one of the things um, that I think are, is really important, like I said before, is to involve your staff uh, in developing your procedures. You know, the day we went 
into lockdown uh, in California, I actually had field staff out uh, collecting water samples. And so we, you know, quickly had a conversation with them about, you know, you're in a good spot, finish what you're doing, and then we'll re, re kind of reconnect and figure out how to manage in sort of this new world. And I think one of the ways that we really addressed it, and I think one way that many employers can do this is by talking to your employees and really making sure that they're involved in the process of outlining the, um, I would say, protocols and kind of methods that you're using to keep the workplace safe. Um, you know, everyone has a different risk tolerance and making sure that you are, I would say, open and engaged to your employees' risk tolerance will definitely support getting their buy-in and comfort for coming back into the workplace. That That's fantastic, uh, Christina. You know, that's the foundation of, of that risk-based approach, right? So one of the things that uh, seems to be on everyone's mind, maybe not everyone's mind, but, you know, when you start to bring in chemicals to the workplace, right? Because everybody is, they want to clean. Oh my gosh, I got to clean, I got to clean, I got to clean. And, and if I get a really, really strong chemical and I clean that off, boy, that's a great chance. Well, at the end of the day, uh, there's two things that can happen. One, you start to make the environment worse, right? By bringing in a chemical that's just way too strong for, for the situation you're in. Or worse yet, they take the blue bottle and the green bottle and they mix it up. And lo and behold, they've now created an entirely new reaction that is much, much worse than what they ever anticipated. So we can help clients navigate through those challenges. And so I would urge them to say, hey, you know, create your own work plan, create your own risk-based approach but perhaps have someone take a peek at it to just view it from that, from that side that they may not see. Can you give us an example of how you would put this approach into practice? We have for the retail industry, uh, luxury retail, for example, asked us to try to help them view it from a different side, right? So they look at it from an employee's perspective. How do I punch the keys? How do I, Put the item into the into the CPU and then give it back to them. Well, are there steps in that process that need to be changed slightly to reduce the likelihood of disease transmission? And we did that. We just stood back and we watched an example of what would occur at a normal transaction. And we were able to figure out ways to separate, ways to reduce transmission, the likelihood of transmission from touch points. Uh, and then we also figured out exactly how and how often those touch points should be cleaned just based on the typical day-to-day -day operations. And we created a type of cleaning process that wasn't industrial type. And that's what, the, that's what the client desired, right? They wanted to get that feeling that it's okay to come in. Come on in. It's okay to shop because we're, we're being safe and we're stepping up beyond what is, what is necessary to try to keep you safe. I really enjoyed talking with you both today and I've learned a lot. What advice do you have to leave us with as the unsung heroes of the workplace? So, so thinking in line of, of, you know, resiliency, right, for future activities, there's, there's a few pieces of the puzzle that you, you should think about. You know, you're building design, right? The architects 
are not really alone in this. The industrial hygienists can add value to what the architect is trying to design into that building environment. Flexible workspaces, uh, including the IH in the ultimate design of the space to make sure that whatever separations or whatever movements, whatever safeguards that we can perhaps bring forward to, to try to enhance that architectural approach is very important in, t- in today's world. You know, and I think businesses too, they, how they manage this crisis, uh, be it, you know, from the industrial hygiene standpoint of we're, um, coming up with clear plans that their employees and their customers trust to how the companies also look to change the way that work is done. If it's from, you know, using a camera on someone's shoulder while they walk a site or a plant and have people in the office looking, uh, you know, through a Teams meeting, or if it's by creating virtual spaces that people can connect in and actually get productive work done in. This situation has really um, pushed companies to look at how they will respond to, I would say, unanticipated risks. You know, for many years, companies planned and planned, and now it's happened. So everyone has the chance to really build and solidify their reputation and their brand uh, with both their employees and their clients to know that the next time this happens, because it is going to happen again, that their company is ready um, for the next time. And that brings us to the close of this episode on our future workplace, where we explored the role of industrial hygiene in keeping us safe in our uncertain world and how to build resilience. If you'd like to connect with today's guests or explore related insights, please visit us at woodplc.com podcast, where you can also subscribe and receive updates to the Wood podcast. At Wood, our curiosity keeps us pushing, innovating, making the impossible possible. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Take care and be well.